The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. So one of the most painful emotions I think that we've probably all experienced is the pain of exclusion. Anybody ever been there? The pain of exclusion. My first memory is, uh, probably my first memory altogether is I was maybe three or four years old and I remember we were at Chuck E. Cheese and I was, I had just gotten some pizza from Chuck E. Cheese and I was making my way to my family's table and I, I guess maybe I was distracted by the horrifying animatronic mice on stage, whatever, and I ended up sitting at the wrong table. And I, I remember this distinctly because I sat down on the wrong table and I looked a couple of tables over and my family was over there laughing at me laughing at me for sitting at the wrong table. And I remember, you know, my little three-year-old heart, four-year-old heart, whatever it was, just being crushed, you know, that my family would laugh at me, and I was so embarrassed, I was excluded from that joke, you know, excluded from that laughter. We know the pain of exclusion. We also know, on the flip side of that, the joy of inclusion, right? So if you're used to getting picked last for the kickball team, and then one day, you're the first one selected, there's some joy that's associated with that, right? So we, we know the pain of exclusion. We also know the joy of inclusion, Now, one of the best places you can see sort of this dynamic at play is in the cinematic classic 1993, The Sandlot. Has anybody seen The Sandlot? Anybody seen this? So maybe if you're around my age, especially if you're male, The Sandlot is like carved into your heart in some ways that I just can't even begin to describe, right, men? Uh, I introduced The Sandlot to to my boys a couple of weeks ago, and I found myself on more than one occasion, moved to tears watching The Sandlot with my children. And the reason is that the, st- the story starts with this boy who's moved out into this neighborhood. He calls himself an egghead. He calls himself a dweeb. He doesn't have any friends. He's got no connections until he meets Benny, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. He leads these neighborhood boys in playing baseball every single day during the summer. And the boys, they, they're initially, we don't want Scotty. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a square, L7, he's a square. We don't want Scotty to be a part of our crew. But Benny goes to bat for Scotty. And so the story is, Scotty's initially excluded from the group. But as the movie progresses, we experience with Scotty the joy of being included. And it's just like, I'm watching it. It's like, it's so beautiful. And boys, like, be like, be like Benny. It's so sweet. Be like Benny, right? We know the pain of exclusion, and we know the joy of inclusion. Now, we might be able to say that the true story of the whole world, the story of the Bible, is the story of God welcoming, or we might say, including sinners. That humans have chosen exclusion from God. Humans have willingly exiled themselves from God. We have chosen alienation and distance traced back to the very first man and the very first woman, Adam and Eve, who reject God and are exiled from the garden. They choose exclusion from God's presence. But the story of the Bible is that God is moved by his compassion and by his mercy to invite us back in. The story of the Bible is the grand story of God's hospitality to gather in the rebellious and the weak and those wounded by the fall. Beginning all the way back with a character named Abraham. In Abraham, God says, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use your family to bless all nations. Abraham, I'm I'm going to use you and your kinship, and I'm going to use you to to bless all nations and to bring the nations, to bring all people back into relationship with me. We might say that Acts, the story of Acts, 
is like the grand in-gathering of the ages where God's promise to Abraham so long ago is finally fully and completely fulfilled. The kingdom advances. Uh, We've been studying uh, the book of Acts as a church, and in chapter 1, we remember that Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples that beginning in Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the kingdom is going to advance, and the nations are going to be gathered in. The end of Matthew, Jesus says, I'm going to send you out to make disciples of all nations, that all people are going to be included in God's blessing, what God has always intended to do. Today, we have another encounter with a character named Philip, who we saw last week. This encounter, we might say, is a bit of a surprising inclusion, a surprising inclusion into the family of God. All right, let's look again at chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the story opens after we've seen Philip go and advance the gospel to the Samaritans. The story we saw last week was Philip, uh, there's there's a scattering that takes place in light of persecution, and Philip is among those who are scattered. And as as he's scattered and as he goes along his way, as he goes about chattering the gospel, we see that Samaritans believe. And then we have this moment where the Spirit falls even on Samaritans as a way to communicate that, like, yes, God's promises aren't just for the Jews, they're also for the Samaritans. Those who were compromised in the eyes of, 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 of ethnically Jewish uh, believers in Yahweh, those, those Samaritans who were compromised, who were excluded, we see that they're welcomed in, that they too are given the promise of the Holy Spirit. On the heels of this encounter, we're told that an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and says, go. Specifically, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, a couple of times in the book of Acts, we're going to see what's been called journey narratives. It's these stories where there's a character who's on a journey, he's going from point A to point B, and coincidentally, this character happens to have some kind of experience, maybe bumps into a particular person. And of course, what what we see happening here is that the, the Lord Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is directing these pieces in his sovereignty and in his grace. And what the Lord Jesus does here is he directs Philip to go specifically to this road because the Lord has an encounter in mind for Philip. We're told in verse 27, uh, just Philip's like, let's do it. He, He rises and he goes in obedience. And there on the way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, a eunuch was someone in the ancient times, it was a pretty common practice for folks to essentially be castrated for the sake of eliminating the possibility of a family so that they could serve royalty with no kind of, uh, no kind of uh, entanglements you know, with their family or with concerns about a legacy or whatever else. They would, you know, this is understandably a, a very questionable practice, but they would, they would essentially, y- young men, they would castrate these young men and force them, conscribe them to, to work in these courts. And the point of castrating them was to eliminate the possibility of having any kind of family that might distract them from loyalty, utmost loyalty, to the king or to the queen in this instance. 
loyalty to the court was essential. It was, it was, it was primary for a eunuch. This is your family. This is to be your legacy. Now, what we're told about this eunuch is that he's in charge of uh, Queen Candace's treasure. So it's likely that this is a really actually well-to-do employee or servant of the queen. We're also told that this eunuch was, was one who was called a, a God-fear, meaning that he wasn't fully welcomed into the nation of Israel, but he did consider himself a worshiper of Yahweh. So he's a eunuch. He's someone who's been castrated. He's someone who doesn't have the capacity for reproduction. But not only is he a eunuch, he's a eunuch from Ethiopia. He's a foreigner, a Gentile, and he's a eunuch. He's not ethnically Jewish, and he's been castrated. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it specifically mentions the role of eunuchs within the covenant community. We won't read it here. You can look at it later, but it says that a castrated man is not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. A castrated man is not welcomed into the assembly of the Lord. Now, again, this, this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch is a God-fearer. He worships Yahweh. He could be part of the covenant in one sense, but he's not a full participant in the covenant family. That's why he's called a God-fear. It was his own kind of category of worshiper of Yahweh. And again, we're told that he's coming from Jerusalem uh, after having spent a season there worshiping the Lord, but he's not someone who has ever granted full participation in the life of the covenant. He is prevented by the law from being fully engaged. And we're told that this Ethiopian eunuch... As a, as, a, as a good man, I mean, he's, he's painted in a positive light, is reading the prophet Isaiah. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. says, Philip hears him. The Lord directs Philip to go to him. And the eunuch invites Philip to help him understand. Verse 32. Now, the passage of the scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? The commentators have pointed out that there's probably a, a particular kind of resonance that this passage would have had for the eunuch. Now, the, the eunuch obviously doesn't fully understand who Isaiah 53 is talking about. We're, we're going to look at that in a second. But as he's reading it, note verse 33. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. What is being said about the servant is that his life was unjustly cut short. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Denied him. Who can describe his generation? Some commentators have said this is likely to be understood as who can describe his progeny, his family? Who can say that this guy can have a family because his life has been cut short? His life is taken away from the earth. In other words, the one who's being described here can't have kids because his life was cut short. And some commentators have pointed out that it's possible that the eunuch is reading this and the eunuch sees something resonant there. As one who, who had the ability to reproduce taken from him, something catches his attention about the one who is being described in this passage. So the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, who, do, who is the prophet speaking about when he says this? Is this about himself or somebody else? Let's turn to Isaiah 53 and look at this together. Verse 1. 
We'll start in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth." Who is the prophet Isaiah speaking about in this passage? In the context of Isaiah, he's talking about this suffering servant, kind of this this vague, almost abstract figure. But who specifically is the prophet Isaiah talking about? Let's look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip shows us that Isaiah had always anticipated Christ. And the way that Jesus' life was taken from him unjustly, the way that the Messiah was punished for the sin of the people, the way that the Messiah's life was stricken from him, the way that the Messiah experienced injustice, Philip says that was always the plan. Isaiah 53 is describing Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin, Our breaking of the law, Jesus is punished for those things in order that his people could be restored, that his people could be healed. And 11 verse 35 that it says that Philip told him not just about Jesus, but what? The good news about Jesus. The one described in Isaiah 53. This phrase told him the good news and one word is in the original language is essentially to gospelize. Philip went on to gospelize the eunuch, to declare good tidings. He says, friend, something amazing has happened in Jesus. And you happen to be reading the scripture that tells us exactly what he's done. Tells him, I mean, you can imagine how this conversation went. I mean, who knows how long they talked. But he looked at Isaiah 53 and he's like, Jesus bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Philip's like, man, on the cross, Jesus took the sin of his people and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus' shoulders so that his people could experience joy and freedom and the relief of, of never being condemned by God the Father. Philip goes on to tell him that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, that we can't obey God perfectly, but Jesus has done that on our behalf. He goes on to tell Uh, the the Ethiopian eunuch, that Jesus is one who welcomes all who believe, that there's no sin that disqualifies you from coming to Jesus. Jesus welcomes all sinners and sufferers. He tells them that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. There's neither Jew nor Gentile any longer. We are one new man in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then he tells them that Jesus sent out his very spirit to fall on all people, that Jesus is pouring out his spirit on the sons and daughters of all flesh, And that the promise isn't just for those who are near, it is for far off. Philip goes on to tell him the good news about Jesus. But flip to Isaiah chapter 56. 
starting verse 3. Philip had to have done this. The prophet issues this promise from God. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me, exclude me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Surely Philip flipped three chapters over and said, listen, you're not going to believe this. I know it seems like a chance encounter. You are not going to believe this. But an angel of the Lord appeared to me. And and as you're reading Isaiah 53, I couldn't help but think about Isaiah 56, where it promises that the foreigners and the eunuchs will be welcomed into my house forever, that they will not be separated or excluded from me. That the foreigners and and even the eunuchs who repent of their sins, who who turn away from their sin and turn to God, are going to be welcomed, embraced. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer, Philip says. And then I love this, verse 36. And as they were going along the road, verse, I'm sorry, Acts 8, verse 36, flipping back and forth a little bit. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Notice how he said that. He didn't say, is, is it cool with you? I'd like to be baptized. We, is that good? He doesn't say, there's water. Let's go, let's go get baptized. He says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I was prevented from being a part of the assembly. I was excluded. I did not have full status or full access. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being a follower of Jesus, a a full-fledged, full covenant participant participant who, who bears the sign of the covenant? What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What prevents the eunuch from being baptized? What prevents the eunuch from being a Christian, a full-fledged member of Jesus' own body? What prevents him from being in, receiving the Spirit, knowing the life of joy of being a Christian? The answer is nothing. Nothing prevents the eunuch from being baptized. Nothing. Let me ask you, to any who are in this room, maybe you're here, and maybe you find something about Jesus compelling or attractive. Maybe you find something about belonging to a church to be really compelling or attractive. The life together just draws you in. What prevents you from being baptized? Is there anything that stands in the way of you becoming a follower of Christ? 
In John chapter 6, verse 37, the King James, Jesus says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. All who come to me, I will in no wise, I, I will not under any circumstances cast them out. Not one. There's a Puritan guy, a guy named John Bunyan. He wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote a, a lesser-known work called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ back in the 17th century. Uh, in this book, towards the end of the book, he has this hypo, hypothetical conversation between a sinner and Jesus. Christ invites the sinner in, and the sinner says this. I'll have this on the screen. He says, but I'm a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a eunuch, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a foreigner, say you. I will in no wise cast out. Anyone who comes to me, anyone who comes to me, the Lord Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will receive. Any soul who comes to me, I will receive, the Lord Jesus promises. And not only does he receive, he gives. He gives his name. You are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and you are called Christian forever. He gives you his own spirit. He says, I give to you my spirit to renew you and to remake you and to perfect you in the image of the Father he says, I'm going to make you a part of my people. I give you access to my people, to love you, to bear your burdens, to do life with you. He says, I give you my righteousness. I die on your behalf so that you can be welcomed into the court of God the Father. I give you my inheritance. I share everything that belongs to me with you. I seat you in my heavenly places. I give you access to my Father, Jesus says. So the good news of the gospel, I think that Philip shared here with the Ethiopian eunuch and that he shares with us today is that Jesus was excluded so that you could be included. Isaiah 53, his life is stricken from him. He is cast out of the land of the living so that he could receive us, so that he could bless us and give us all that belongs to him. This is the amazing, unbelievable, almost too good to be true news of the gospel. This is why we want to go make Jesus known. Because it's like, this is the Jesus that we're making known. This is the gospel that we're telling people about. This is good news. The good news of Christ. Verse 39 of Acts chapter 8. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way. What does it say? Rejoicing. How good is that? Isaiah 56, remember it says, I, I will make the foreigner and the eunuch rejoice in my courts. Philip tells him about Jesus and it says, the eunuch goes away rejoicing. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing kind of thing, right? Like Isaiah 56 in living color right here. 
We're told in this passage, I have no idea what this means, that the, the Spirit whisks Philip away. Your guess is as good as mine. It's the Philip, I mean, the Spirit just zaps him away. It's like Philip's got other things to do. He's got to go make Christ known elsewhere. So he just, and then he appears elsewhere. It's actually reminiscent of uh, the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. It's another journey narrative, and it's another instance where the Spirit illumines someone's heart to understand that the Scriptures are talking about Jesus. And at the end of that encounter, it says that Jesus is whisked away by the Spirit. So we have, it, it reminds us of that particular encounter. Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Philip is whisked whisked away, and as he uh, reappears, he finds himself at Azotus, and he goes preaching the gospel exactly where Jesus, by his spirit, puts him. Now, what are we to make of this passage? How can we respond to these scriptures tonight? Two things. First, I would say this to you. Let us rejoice at our inclusion. Let us rejoice at our inclusion. If we're going to identify with any person in this narrative, it's the eunuch. If we are in Christ and we are not ethnically Jewish, we are the foreigners that have been welcomed in, that was envisioned in Isaiah chapter 56. We've been welcomed in by the blood of Christ. And we have been included by Jesus' exclusion. Because Jesus was cut off from the land of the living, he bore death for us so that we could be welcomed into life with the Father. He suffered for us. He was a man of sorrows for us. He bore our transgression. He bore your transgression to give us everything that belongs to him. We have been blessed with Christ with every spiritual blessing, Paul tells us. So the proper response to this is to rejoice, is to just be a people of joy. One of my favorite authors says that the Christian should be the kind of person who has a, has a joy that's like, like deep in their bones, that's like it can't, it can't be reached by anything external to them, but it's a joy that reaches their face, a joy that reaches our face. There's a kind of knowledge of, of what Christ has done for us that we just can't get over. And we, we just rejoice. We, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so we have a joy that reaches our face, knowing that Christ was excluded so that we could be included. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, the question is for you, what prevents you from being baptized? And the answer is nothing. Any who come, comes to Christ will not be cast out. Jesus happily receives you. Cast yourself on him. Be welcomed in by him. Become one of us. Full stop by the blood of Jesus. Repent and believe. Turn from your old ways and turn to Jesus and happily receive discipleship at his feet. If you're not a Christian, this could be you. This joy you have access to by the blood of Jesus. So the first way we're to respond is is to let us rejoice at our inclusion. But secondly, I would say this. Let us join with God in inviting others in. Let us join with God in inviting others in. You know what's really interesting to me about Acts chapter 8? is that the angel could have just appeared to the eunuch. Why didn't the angel of the Lord just go to the eunuch? That would have been extremely convincing, right? An angel of the Lord appear to you, I don't know, blind you with light, tell you to, to believe. Why, why did the angel of the Lord go out of his way to recruit Philip on this mission? 
And I think the answer, at least in part, is that God wants to use people like us to invite others in, to open the scriptures and say, this is the good news about Jesus. Would you believe with me? Let's read this together. Let's talk about Christ. Let's believe on Christ together. At least part of the answer is that God wants us to help him make Christ known from here to the ends of the earth. God wants to use us, ordinary people the Lord uses for this kind of work. Maybe an angel of the Lord doesn't direct us and send us somewhere specifically, but the Lord has providentially placed us exactly where he's placed us. He's put us on Oakdale Avenue because he knows exactly what he's doing, right? He's putting our church family at 407 Ridgewood Drive because he knows exactly what he's doing. You live in O'Neill Village, you are there because the Lord Jesus puts you there, and there is opportunity to make Christ known even there. And so we, we can see ourselves first like the eunuch who has received salvation, but we can also see ourselves like Philip, an ordinary guy that the Lord providentially places to go make Christ known. The question is, where is that for us? How can we make uh, Jesus' name known to our neighbors exactly where he's placed us? Who is God sending us to? Who is close to you but far from God that you can invite in to believe on Christ? At the back of our bulletin, uh, each week we provide questions for reflection as a way to just help further think about the passages that were taught each Sunday. Um, uh, one of the things I encourage you to do tonight, uh, in the next few moments, I'm going to pray, and we're going we're gonna to just take some, some time to consider the things that have been said and to reflect on these questions that have been provided to you. I would also say, uh, you could take these questions and use them at the dinner table tonight, throughout the week. If you have kids, you could use these questions to talk about the scripture with your kids. Uh, hopefully, it's a helpful resource to you that helps further our discipleship. Now, one thing I love about this story, one further detail, is that the church fathers, Aaron mentioned some church fathers last week, guys like Tertullian and Origen, they actually tell us about the fate of the eunuch. You know what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? The Ethiopian eunuch, listen to this, became the father of the Ethiopian church. The Ethiopian eunuch became the father of the Ethiopian church. And we see how in God's incredible wisdom and kindness, he saves the life of this eunuch by making Jesus known to him and then invites him up into his family, makes his name his name, gives him a legacy that is better than sons of daughters and makes him the founder of of this church. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and kindness. And we thank you that just as Isaiah 53 envisioned that you bore our transgressions and our iniquities. We thank you that you are both just and the justifier, that you are that you are a God of justice and you are a God who cannot overlook sin and evil, but you are a God of mercy whose mercy triumphs over judgment in Jesus. Jesus has mercifully bore the punishment for our sin and we rejoice and we, we, are, we are overwhelmed at how wonderful this news is and we pray, Lord Jesus, for a, for a joy that reaches our faces. We pray that as we think about uh, what your word has said tonight, I pray for anyone who's in this room who might not yet be a believer, we pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would open their eyes to see the glory of Christ, would go to Jesus and be received and made new by Jesus. We pray that as a church family, we would take seriously our call to make Christ known. And we pray 
We, we pray that we would uh, uh, take advantage of these places where you have put us, in your providence and in your goodness, Lord Jesus. We pray that we would uh, see our neighbors and see our coworkers and see those who do not yet believe, and that we would, in compassion, be moved towards them and invite them in to believe. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of the gospel. We thank you for the gift of the church. And we ask tonight that your spirit would move in us. And as we consider even these questions for reflection, Lord Jesus, would your spirit uh, direct us and and, uh, show us how to apply these scriptures so that we could go about honoring you in all that we say and all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.